Okay, this morning let's uh, get into uh, Luke 16 again. We had a break for a couple of weeks from, from Luke for some other things. But we're jumping back into Luke 16 as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we noted when we began Luke 16, because we, we started and Jesus gives that, that parable, which was a little bit confusing, but that's only the beginning. The whole chapter of Luke 16 is a difficult chapter of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's a chapter where there is something in there, at least in, in one part, that's going to make, make us uncomfortable, at least in one portion or another, and how Jesus uh, does. Uh, you know, a few of the statements Jesus makes are hard to understand. They take some real figuring out and, and nutting it out to figure out what's there, so they're hard to understand. And then there are some which are not so hard to understand, but which are hard to hear. Uh, so Luke 16 is a difficult chapter to go through. It started, we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of the chapter. Jesus told us a parable which was illustrating to us that we need to think about and prepare about the future. What is before us, not just this life and not just to live in this life, but to look beyond that. And to do everything we possibly can in this life to prepare us for what is before and uh, what happens in the life eternal. Now, as the Pharisees listened to that parable, and after they've been listening to what Jesus has said along the way about what it is to believe Jesus, to follow Jesus, and what it is to be saved in Jesus, and he's been talking about repentance and, and faith, and he's been talking about uh, hypocrisy all along the way, and then he's talked there in that parable about not using our earthly goods for our own benefit, but to, to put it into to the eternal the Pharisees have been listening to all this and they're taking it all in. And then we come here to verse 14 and we're just going to read a few short verses for our text this morning. Verse 14 to 17. So having heard all of this as Jesus speaks, it says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one, uh, one tittle of the law to fail. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask for your help in understanding, your strength to apply it, Lord, that we might grow as we come to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as the Pharisees have been listening to all that Jesus has said, all the things that Jesus has been talking about, hypocrisy and repentance and faith and living for the future and not trying to gain riches in this world, but to, to pursue the, the glory of the next, They've listened to all this and they have, as we've seen before, completely missed the point of what Jesus was saying. And as they were thinking, and it said particularly the parable before where Jesus talks about, about gathering and, and using our resources and our money not for what is here, not amassing our own things and trying to make life good here, but for the next, their thoughts and their ideas are only on the money. So they've missed the point of what Jesus was saying and they focused in on what was really in their heart. So the passage we read as we talk about these verses, as we look through what Jesus says here, these things here are Jesus giving a warning 
to these false teachers. He's warning them about what it means to ignore, to miss the point of what Jesus has been saying. Now, in the warning, and there are some hard things here about what it is to be uh, a false teacher and all these. In the midst of these warnings, there is some encouragement for believers, for genuine believers. And we'll see that as we come through. Again, as we come through here, Jesus shows us the reality of what it is to believe Jesus in the world, to follow Jesus in the world. And so as we look through, I've got three thoughts we'll look at this morning. And the first that we see, I think here, is this, that in this world, God will be mocked. God will be mocked. It begins in verse 14. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him, mocked him, made fun of him. As we look and we consider what's going on here, one of the things we see is that there is a clash of priorities. There are some different priorities coming about through here. And as we see here and we talk about this idea that Jesus is, if we see that God is going to be mocked, uh, we find that the ones who are mocking Jesus are the ones who claim to love God. So here, their response to Jesus is to mock him. And this mocking comes from the people who say day in and day out that they love God. They teach people that they love God. And they spend their time as if they love God and pursuing God. That's who the Pharisees are. And it's these people, these people who stand before the nation of Israel here and propose to to them that they love God and that they want them to love God are the ones who are mocking God. We expect it from the irreligious. We expect it from from people who who aren't attached to any religion or who who don't have a particular belief. And we expect it from people like that to mock God and say, well, we don't like this or we don't like that. But these are the people who say that they love God and it's these people that are mocking him. The mocking comes in many forms. It's not just making fun of, but it's a disregard for or disrespect of God, remember the, the mocking that goes along. These people who claim to work for God, but they actually have and actually are pointing people in a different direction to God. Our world is filled with the same thing. Yeah, we look here and we see a group of people who spend their life and have made their lives and have made great profit out of saying they're pointing people to God, but actually pointing people in the direct opposite place of God. And while it's the same in our society, it may look different, but the way is the same. Things are all the same. In the the realm of Christianity in, in our world, we're overwhelmed with mockers of Christ. Every Sunday, and not just Sunday, but but on many Sundays, every Sunday, places are filled with people being told the opposite of God's will by people who claim to be speaking for God. God is mocked not just by what they say, but God is mocked by by the way they conduct themselves and by the way they supposedly worship God, what masquerades as worship for God. You know, these Christians talk about God and they talk about Jesus, but they deny that Jesus is God or that he was raised. It gets me every time we come to Easter... You know, the Easter season, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every year, we see the same things and, and, and others, the same religious leaders come out and say, Easter is great and it tells us some good things, 
But we really don't know if Jesus actually raised from the dead or not. And there are supposedly leaders of Christianity. They claim to love God, but don't believe that he actually raised from the dead. The people claiming to speak for God, actually claiming that their words are God's words, yet they speak contrary to what God's word says in scriptures. There are churches filled with people who will listen to a person talk and not once will Jesus' name be mentioned. Churches are filled in some places where people will talk about God without ever once opening scripture or referring to a verse in the Bible. And we do this and they call themselves as if they're speaking for God. They claim to love God, but reject parts they don't like. We like parts of God's word, but we say we're a modern society. God's word is old. It needs to be updated. So we don't want those parts of the Bible. We want the parts we like. The others will disregard. Claim to love God, but we hide sin in the church. And we cover it up for the benefit of the institution over the benefit of people. We've got in our society, we've got prosperity preachers who claim to love God, who claim to speak for God, but who don't know God. We've got red letter Christians, they call themselves, who think only the things that Jesus spoke carry weight. Everything else is just dross. We've got... Hebrew roots movements of various sorts, which essentially are like what was happening in Galatians, which says you have to obey the law and you have to follow the Jewish forms of life in order to know what God is really like. We've got progressive Christians and liberal Christians. There are people who claim to be faith healers, yet there's not one verifiable one. There's people actually now, very uh, popular people now, who claim to have risen, raised people from the dead. Yet, with such an amazing thing, there is not one verifiable evidence that it's ever happened. They claim that in the name of God. All around us, in churches, on TV, in books, and all around us in various different ways, God is being mocked by people who claim to love his name. And they easily justify themselves. One of the popular prosperity preachers this year was confronted by some things. He just bought a $50 million jet. He said, why did you buy a $50 million jet? So I can reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I kid you not, this is what he said. I can't fly coach. There's demons in coach who are trying to get me. So I have to have a private jet. Now, look, we want to reach more people with Christ, but you don't need a $50 million jet to reach people with Jesus Christ. We justify it. These people, these false teachers, justify it. It's justified by people who love self. The reason Jesus says here is they heard who were lovers of money. That is, they loved what benefited themselves. They were greedy. That's why they did it. Now, it's true, not everyone who does this does it willfully. That is, there are some who purport this, who believe this, who preach this, who do this through ignorance. But even in ignorance, what keeps it going 
What keeps it moving on, what keeps people from jumping out of it is our selfishness. The reason they mocked Jesus is because he didn't speak of God as being concerned with our comfort. Jesus didn't appease them and say, God wants you to have everything you want. He wants you to be rich and he wants you to be successful. He wants people to follow you. Jesus didn't speak like that when he was there. He spoke the exact opposite. He spoke of God as being concerned not with our temporal good, but with our salvation from sin and our genuine good, our eternal salvation. The reason this type of religion flourishes is because it feeds our basest desires. What do I want? What can I get out of God? We want a God who will make us rich, not tell us to do anything difficult, who wants us to have power and influence in this world. Here's essentially what we want, and this is why these false teachers spread so quickly, because we want a God that everybody wants. That's why it works. We want a God that everybody wants. We want a God who brings us most benefit. False teachers say a lot of the right words, but their priority is different to God's. The result of a different priority is a different focus. So he tells us here, as Jesus continues, and he says to them in verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. God looks at hearts. Notice Jesus isn't concerned about what their ministry looks like. He doesn't care if this Pharisee has a lot of followers or if he is highly influential or if this teacher is, uh, uh, has a great school and doing well and there's a lot of people following him. He doesn't care about that. He's looking beyond that. He's looking into their hearts. You know, there are too many of us Christians today who are afraid to speak out against false teachers today. They oh, but some of their songs are good, or, or God appears to be blessing. Look how quickly it's growing, or how great it is. Look how many people they reach. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, well, look, it's, God seems to be doing something because they're reaching people when they say they love God. In fact, Jesus says this. This is what he says in this verse, verse 15. You don't work for God. You're an abomination. That's how he describes these false teachers. You know, we have the, the benefit in, in our age at the moment of having men like Kosti Hin, who is a, a relative of the famous uh, faith healer and all, uh, Benny Hin, and people like Justin Peters, who help us in this way. They're exposing the hypocrisy. They're helping us to see through all of this and the wickedness. It is not wrong for us to call out false teachers and to call false teachers what they are, an abomination. But Jesus could see their hearts. He knows their motives. You can see their lives. You can hear their words. You know, as Paul was traveling through Asia, he would come to a place in Berea. And it says of the people in Bereans, it says the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. So what he says of the Bereans was that they didn't just take whatever Paul said at face value and say, ah, it sounds right. It says they listened to it and then they said, how does it match with what we know is in the scriptures? This is the test we have. This is how we ought to be listening to anyone. It's how I would expect you to listen to me. 
did what he say match with what the scripture says? And if what I say doesn't match with what the scriptures, take the scriptures every time. The epistles, that is the letters that Paul and Peter and John wrote, the end of the New Testament, are filled with instructions to confront false teachers and to cast them out. Why is Jesus so harsh on false teachers? He's so harsh because God loves people. He loves people. False teachers deceive many. And in their deception, they doom people to eternal condemnation, believing that they've been accepted by God. They dupe people into thinking that if they do the right things or if they give enough money... I watched just this, this, this last week one false teacher on television saying you, you needed to send her a $100,000 check so that God would bless you. And that was God's word to her. They're deceiving us. They're deceiving people saying if you do this, God's going to bless you and you're going to be acceptable to God. And people do it believing that's true. And they end up in hell. Because somebody told them the opposite of what God said. Jesus is concerned for others. He calls out false teachers and he calls us as his people to call out false teachers because he loves people. He doesn't want them doomed because of lies and deception. First thing we see here as we look here is that God will be mocked. But Jesus continues in his thoughts here that God's kingdom will advance verse 16 Jesus continues and he says the law and the prophets were until John since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it though God may be mocked God pursues his great purpose God pursues his great purpose What he identifies for us or helps us understand here is that Jesus is the focus of God's purpose. Though they knew the Old Testament, these Pharisees, they knew the Old Testament as part of their job. They would have known it inside and out. They had to to have read it and, and know what it says. They knew it, but they had missed the most important part of it. They used the law to their own advantage. And they built around it for their own gain and their own advantage. But Jesus says, no, it's not about you. It's about me, he says. The law and the prophets was all about him. Galatians, let me read to you a short portion from Galatians. Portion of scripture which had to do with, with people being duped by false teachers into believing that they needed to keep the law in order to be acceptable to God. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Tutor to what? To bring us to Christ, 
that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law was there to lead us to Jesus. To lead us to Jesus. It told us of sin. What sin was. How to identify it. It told us about holiness and how God is holy and what that means and what God is like. The law and the prophets told us about not only our need of forgiveness, but the promise of God's grace. False teachers avoided the difficult parts of the law so they could find what only benefited themselves. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Jesus says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So when he says here in, in our text, the law and the prophets were until John uh, uh, there. And since that time, the kingdom has been preached saying, look, that, that is not negated. That is, is not about you. And then he can go through and he can show you everywhere where he is in there. Jesus is the focus of God's purpose because Jesus is the message of God's purpose. In John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are the things which testify of me. Why is Jesus focus, the focus of God's purpose? Because he is the saviour. This is the purpose Luke wrote his gospel. Jesus says, quoted by Luke, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What does that mean? He is the great purpose. The, what we often call the Romans road gives us that idea. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us escapes that reality, that truth. We have all sinned. Romans 6.23 gives us the consequences of that. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we are all under sin. Sin brings death. But God gives a gift of eternal life. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I am a sinner. The punishment for sin is death. But what did God do about that? He provided payment for my sin. So then what do I need to do about that? What do I do about that? Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and verse 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is, I believe that what Jesus says is true, that I am a sinner, that my sin brings death, but God paid for that sin in his own death. And if I believe him and turn my life to follow him, I can be free of that sin. God's great purpose is the salvation of sinners for his glory. Jesus is the way of salvation, and it is this message which is preached through the world. 
God may be mocked, but his purpose cannot be stopped. And while God is pursuing his purpose, so God's people are pursuing his purpose. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. The idea of pressing or forcing into there gives us the idea that the way is not easy. The way is not easy. Jesus describes it like this in Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. That is, it's not simply about saying and doing the right thing. It requires repentance. That is to to say, I am no longer in charge, but I am giving my life to Jesus. I'm turning from my own way and I'm going to follow God. Requires discipleship to follow him. Jesus doesn't entice us with pleasure, but with the truth. We find forgiveness and truth in him. But it's not just about being the way is, is not easy when it talks about pressing into it or, or, or pushing into it or forcing our way into it. It also speaks about the energy that's, that's moved there, the, the desire. It expresses a fervency and urgency. People are genuinely following Jesus Christ. Despite the false teachers all around which are, are preaching and people are, are, are turning to Jesus Christ. People are leaving their lives of sin. People are, are turning away from the false teachers and they're finding Jesus Christ and pursuing him. We must fight the false teachers in this world, but don't get discouraged. You know, it may seem like they have the, the biggest gatherings and the biggest influences. But don't be mistaken. The true gospel is advancing. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is bringing people to Jesus Christ. Their people are being saved. God's purpose is being accomplished. God's people are coming to him. The final thing that Jesus tells us here is not only that God will be mocked and God's kingdom will advance, but thirdly, God's word will not fail. Verse 17, and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. God's word is powerful. It's powerful because it is filled with God's power. You know, he says there, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one little part of God's law to fail. And it got me thinking, how much would it take to destroy the world. If we could destroy our earth, how much would it take? So I did a little investigating. Turns out other people have thought the same thing. It's a little bit scary. It turns out, though, we as humans are completely incapable of developing what we need to destroy just this earth. We cannot completely destroy it. In fact, if we were to take our most uh, potent nuclear bombs, it would take four quadrillion of our most potent nuclear bombs to completely destroy the earth. Just the earth. But Jesus says here, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away. 
Right, so we're just looking at your four quadrillion nuclear bombs just to destroy the earth. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm not just talking about if you can destroy the earth. I'm saying it would be easier for me to destroy the or for the earth to be destroyed and all of the universe to be destroyed than for one of my words to change. Now, God created all of this with his power. That power of God is infused in the Bible. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration or is literally God breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfected. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God has the power to transform lives. The word of God accomplishes God's purpose. It says in Isaiah 55 and verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Every time God's word is heard, God uses it. What's the purpose? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us the purpose of God's word going out is to gather his people to himself. When God's word goes out, the power of God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit as he uses the word of God gathers his people to himself. God's word is powerful, but what it also tells us is that God's word is eternal. God's word is eternal. It is eternally perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, David says in Psalm 19, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. He talks here about, in, in my version it says one tittle, it may say in yours one stroke or one jot. What it all refers to is the, the smallest stroke of the language. So for us it might be the difference between writing a, a, uh, an, an E and an F. That one little stroke at the bottom, which can change the letter. Or from a a B to an R. That one little stroke at the bottom which just connects it. It's the smallest little detail. The simplest little thing. So it's not even the littlest part of God's word can be changed. God hasn't spoken or decreed one little thing wrong. It is completely perfect. His word is perfectly trustworthy it is eternally perfect and being eternally perfect it is eternally true god's word was penned in a specific time in specific circumstances those times may have passed but the truths haven't matthew 24 jesus says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away The psalmist says in Psalm 18, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven, trustworthy, faithful. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Ephesians 6 tells us that our greatest weapon in the battle against uh, 
the spiritual warfare and false teachers is the word of God and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It will not fail. It will not fail God and it will not fail you. There are always going to be people who want to profit off God. Who will lead people away from God in the name of God. As God's people, we mustn't remain silent. Our love for God and our love for people should move us to speak the truth in love. To expose the false teachers that lead people to, to, to condemnation and to save some from doom. We do this because God's kingdom will advance. Part of this is done as we proclaim the gospel of Christ to those around us. We make Jesus as Savior the focus of our life and our message. Believe the power and the eternal nature of God's word. These we have. Oh God, make us bold defenders of your truth for the salvation of others and your glory make us strong believers in your gospel and the word let's pray together our heavenly father we come to you having heard stern and strong words from jesus to the false teachers Dear God, we, we know the truth of that. We see it all around us. We've, we've heard it. Perhaps we've been involved in it and come out of it. We thank you, dear God, that despite what appears to be true in this world, that the true gospel is advancing. That people are being saved, brought out of darkness and into life. Dear God, our great hope, our great aim, our great desire is to be part of that great purpose. To trust the power of your word, the power of the gospel, and to speak it clearly. To save those from destruction and bring them into a relationship with the true God. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.